This is the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel. This series features important conversations on health policy issues, as well as advocacy efforts to advance access and quality to musculoskeletal health care. Be sure to tune in on the third Tuesday of every month for our regular program. I'm your host, Doug Lundy, chair of the AAOS Advocacy Council. All right, y'all, we have a very exciting episode this month. We're going to talk about unity in orthopedic advocacy, which is a very timely topic, especially with the divisiveness in our country right now and all the things going on. We have a very special guest, my friend, Dr. Jerry Williams. Really needs no introduction at all. Y'all know him very well from his previous service to the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons as our president. He's also served as president of the American Shoulder and Elbow Society. He is at the Rothman Clinic, where he is a shoulder specialist down there and also a professor of orthopedic surgery at the Sydney Kimmel Medical College in Philadelphia. So, Dr. Williams, thank you very much and appreciate you joining the podcast, sir. Thanks, Doug. We determine the unified advocacy agenda through the Council on Advocacy of the AOS, and it's very important for us to make sure that we speak with a single voice on Capitol Hill. Now, when you were president of the AOS, unity was a very important factor for you, and why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I remember most about my time with the Academy, particularly when we went to Washington, D.C., was when we went to any congressperson or senator's office They actually knew the names of the academy staff before we walked through the door. They knew what we were going to talk to them about because they knew what our advocacy agenda was. And as a result, the time that we spent with them was more effective because we didn't have to spend a lot of time introducing ourselves and telling them who we are and who we stand for. And I came away from that experience realizing that if there was any pushback that anybody in Washington, D.C. had against us that the best thing in the world would be if we were to divide all of our organizations up instead of being all under one roof with one voice to have everybody show up as, for instance, the hip and knee surgeons or the shoulder surgeons or the sports medicine surgeons. So it became very clear to me that one of the reasons that we had such an effective and powerful voice in Washington, D.C. is because we did represent 38,000 orthopedic surgeons under one roof as opposed to a bunch of different orthopedic surgeons under different roofs. That seems to be a perennial issue for academy leadership because our tendency seems to be to gravitate to our like-minded folks that practice in our specialty. Yet, especially when it comes to advocacy, nobody is going to speak for orthopedic surgery near as well as our association, don't you think? Yes. And I think you know this. I don't have to tell you this, but some of the people who are listening may not. But when we come up with a unified advocacy agenda, it's done so with input from every specialty organization and every stakeholder that could have anything to offer to the agenda and have any needs for the agenda. The Academy does a very good job of trying to keep everybody involved. And when the advocacy agenda comes out, there's no surprises. So I think it helps. So when you were president of the Academy, certainly you were instrumental in delivering and helping develop a lot of the policy changes or policy statements and what we were about to advocate for, along with the council and to your point, along with input from the state and specialty societies. Anything specific that popped up in your mind from that experience that underlines the efforts and the importance of unity in our voice rather than the fragmented voice that we would be so likely to speak with otherwise? Yeah, I think there's a really good example. I think it was when I was president. 
The first foray of Medicare into bundled payments was called BPCI, which stands for Bundled Payment for Care Improvement Advanced. And at the time, the only group that could control the bundle for a care of a musculoskeletal patient was a hospital. And one of our advocacy points for all of orthopedics was that Medicare should consider individual orthopedic surgery practices as another group that could control the bundle, because even though we only represent 3% of all docs in the United States, a third of all the healthcare spend in the United States is spent on musculoskeletal medicine, and we make 90% of the decisions for all of those patients. And so we made it clear to them that speaking for the 38,000 orthopedic surgeons in the United States, we thought they were missing an opportunity to allow physicians and surgeon practices to own the bundle. I don't think that it ever got to the point where doctors owned the bundle, but I think it improved our ability to at least have some input into how BPCI worked. And I think it really did open up another pathway that would not have been available had it not been for us speaking as one voice for 38,000 orthopedic surgeons about that particular bundle. Now, one of the big issues, of course, we have in the country these days is there's a significant amount of fragmentation across the entire demographic. I've said this repeatedly before. One thing that we don't have to worry about in diversity in orthopedic surgery is political ideation because we have a very widespread of political issues and political ideas through our entire fellowship. Can you talk to the importance of why more than ever we need to speak as one voice rather than the way of the rest of the country, which seems to be moving more and more toward isolation from other groups? I think that we should understand the lane we're in and stay in it. And what I mean by that is people talk about bipartisan, unipartisan. We're orthopartisan. We support anybody who supports orthopedics and musculoskeletal medicine. We don't care what color they are, what gender they are, what party they're in. It doesn't matter. As long as they're looking out for the best interests of our patients and our ability to provide care to musculoskeletal patients, we don't care. And so in a way, I look at this situation that we're going on in our country, which is probably more divisive than any time in my lifetime. I think it's an opportunity because those groups that have size like we do, who have the ability to know their lane and stay in it, can really have very large effect on lawmakers because we're not divided. We're all here to try to make it better for musculoskeletal patients and better for our ability to take care of them. And as long as we stay on message and continue to speak with one voice with a unified advocacy agenda, I think that we will be heard better than some other times. So what would you say to somebody who said, yeah, I get it, but I am far right red or far left blue, and I can't possibly even be in the room with anybody who thinks differently than me. You've touched on this already, but what would you make to those people that are rather intolerant of other ideas other than their own? You may be red, you may be blue, you may be some other color, but you are an orthopedic surgeon that's taking care of patients and you took a Hippocratic oath to do the best you could by your patient. And that's what we're here for. We're not here for any political agendas. If you want to participate in some political process that's not got to do with musculoskeletal medicine, that's fine, but just do it on your own time. We're not here for that. We're here to make sure that the message of taking care of musculoskeletal patients primarily is not lost because let's face it, if you look at the cost of healthcare in the United States, it's about 17% of GDP, maybe even a little higher now. And if you look at the cost of musculoskeletal care by itself, it's 6% of GDP. 
So what that means is that the number of patients that are accessing musculoskeletal medicine is huge, and nobody's going to look out for them like we do, and that's our job. So I would say to those people, put your politics aside for now and put on your orthopedic surgeon hat and be a patient advocate. And to that point, as you well know, especially up in Rothman, which all are extremely successful, without money, there is no mission, right? So all the stuff that y'all want to do, and y'all are very involved in training residents and fellows and doing all those other things and helping out a tremendous amount of the people in Philadelphia. If you're not making any money, you can't go on. And one of the big areas of success that the association has had year over year is in Medicare payment policy changes. I know that Rothman's extensively involved through the AOS advisor circle, in addition to you being past president. Any thoughts on our successes that we've had in Congress? I think the first success before we get to Congress, the advisor circle was a genius stroke. I think we were the first members. If we weren't the first, we were one of the first. Yeah, you were. You were the first. And it's just been an unbelievably successful program. It's brought the level of knowledge of musculoskeletal care issues in our practice to a much higher level. And I'm sure it's done the same for everybody who's in it. The first success is coming up with that idea and actually running with it because I think it's been wildly successful. Sometimes wins are lack of losses. And I think we've had pretty good wins with regard to some of the lack of reimbursement cuts. It seems like every so often this can that gets kicked down the road for unfunded Medicare problems they threaten us with loss of revenue, et cetera. And it seems like it always gets down to the last minute, but we always seem to come up with a way to make our voices heard and allow unfettered access to orthopedic surgeons to continue based upon lack of cuts to reimbursement, et cetera. So I think that's one thing. The second thing that I'm hoping we'll have a little more success on, but I think we are beginning to crack the ice a little bit, is on these pre-certification processes. They have been extremely onerous in order to try to provide care for patients. And I think we've been reasonably good where that's concerned. Our registry effort has really gotten the attention of CMS and others in the regulatory agencies. You know, some of our effects are felt in the legislative arena on the Hill, but some of the more important ones are felt in the regulatory arenas that most people never hear about. And a lot of those things occur behind the scenes with data that we generate from our registries. They are terrific to the point where we've now gotten access to Medicare data in a longitudinal fashion on patients that are in the registry. So I think our registries have been an extremely important addition. And believe me, the people on Capitol Hill see that information. They know that data. And they know us as a group that doesn't come to the table without data. And I think it's another advantage of having everything under one tent. The thing that just resonated through all the topics that you brought up, these are all patient-centric issues. Medicare payment comes to us, but if we cannot afford to keep the doors open to allow patients access to us, then that's a big issue. And it certainly limits not only access to Medicare patients, but some of the underrepresented, diverse populations in America that desperately need our care that often struggle enough. That's absolutely correct. And the disparities in care are pretty obvious and pretty big. That's part of our responsibility, too. We do advocate, and it's important for us to advocate for our patients and our profession. But it's also true that we need to recognize when we have areas of deficiency that we need to work on and admit that we have them and really show people that we're trying to make it better. So back along those lines, 
the state orthopedic societies and our specialty societies through the BOS, the Board of Specialty Societies, really do contribute a lot to the unified advocacy agenda and the efforts that our staff at the Office of Government Relations specifically puts forth in Capitol Hill. Can you kind of give us an insider's view of what you feel the contributions of these diverse societies, not just the specialty societies, all contributing into our voice? I'll start with the state societies, which basically have their influence in the academy, mostly for the BOC, the Board of Counselors. The academy supports the state societies in a number of ways. There's legislative fund called the Slurry Fund that states can apply to the academy for when they have an issue that needs a little bit of an extra funding. I think it's a recognition of the fact that the academy sort of is front and center in national issues. And the state societies are really front and center in the state issues. And I tell all the residents and anybody that I talk to, you need to participate to the maximum amount in your national PAC and in your state PAC. They're equally important. So the state societies are an important part of our diversity in terms of our advocacy agenda. As far as the specialty societies are concerned, sometimes not quite as engaged a group as the BOC, but sometimes they are. And I think it does give an opportunity for every single specialty society to have input in our advocacy agenda. And as well as I do, that when we fill positions in councils and things like that, they come from our specialty societies. And whenever we do educational activities, which is the pathway that I came up through with the academy, all the content experts come from specialty societies for the most part. And so I am a big fan of making sure that we keep our relationship together with the state societies. In fact, the person that taught me was Dr. Rockwood, And he was a strong supporter of subspecialization. He thought that provided better care. He recognized the possibility for specialty societies to become so independent and so good that there would be a problem trying to keep them under the tent of the academy. It's one voice that will help us advance the causes that we have for our patients and for our profession. And I think he was dead on with that. And you brought up the Political Action Committee and encouraging folks to contribute to that. I think the PAC gets a bad rap for people thinking it is just a far-right organization. So what's your view on the PAC and how does it gain us access to do what we need to do within Capitol Hill? It's impossible to make everybody happy. It's just impossible. What the PAC really tries to do is identify people that are friendly to our causes. Sometimes it works out more people on one side of the aisle are friendlier to our causes than others. But I can tell you that I have never been involved with an academy advocacy event or issue where there wasn't full press attempt made by the academy to make sure that we have all diversity of opinions, that we meet with both sides. When we went to the Hill to talk about the BPCI initiative, we met with I don't know how many people on both sides of the aisle. And if you just look at the numbers of how much money is spent by the PAC every single year, it might favor one side or the other one year and one side or the other the following year, but it's never, at least in my experience, it's never been completely overwhelmingly one side or the other. We're orthopartisan. We look for people who are playing on our team and understand what we need and are helping us maintain care of our musculoskeletal patients. Yeah, I could even put more light on that in that the congressional contributions this year on the House of Representatives is almost a rounding error split between the two parties in terms of equal contributions on both sides. And to your point, we look for the folks that are specifically sensitive to the needs of our patients. Can you discuss at all about the selection criteria of why we choose who we give money to? We use our experts who are staff in Washington to identify for us what the issues are we should be thinking about. 
and who stands on what side of those issues. We have somebody we know is on our side, we might support them. But if we have somebody who is not usually on our side, but we think they might be somebody that we could work with in a particular issue, we'll support them. The idea is to find people who will help us advance our agenda, regardless of what party they're in. And I think we're known as that. I think the people, the politicians in Washington, D.C., I think, look at us as passionately tied to what's right for our patients. Very good. So if you were going to give a sum up at the NOLC this year, coming up soon, and you were going to talk to the diverse group in the room, which of course, BOC, BOS, and a lot of other folks in there. And if you were going to give a plea to the group about developing unity and advocacy, what would you say? What I would say is, if you look at the people whose voices we often don't agree with, trial lawyers, hospital association, people like that, everybody's membership is split. There's a lot of divisiveness everywhere, which means that the group that's able to keep their voice together and stay on point with their agenda is going to be heard louder and clearer than they ever have because nobody else is doing it. So we have an opportunity in a very difficult time that's a complete upside down situation. Let the other people look bad and forget about the agenda. We stay on point. We keep pushing the agenda that we have for our patients and just don't waver. Don't get into the weeds. Stay focused on our musculoskeletal agenda. This one voice concept is very important. And what should be obvious, but may not be completely obvious, is the one voice doesn't work unless people get involved. And for those of you who are listening to this podcast, there are a number of ways that you can get involved in this advocacy effort. Your practice can join the advisory circle. You can become active in your board of specialty societies or the BOC, and you can get involved in this process. It's how we speak with one voice, but the one voice is a conglomeration of the voices of everybody in our membership who needs to get involved. All right, y'all. I hope that you found that this was an outstanding podcast that we did with former president of the American Academy and American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons, Dr. Jerry Williams. It's always interesting to me to talk to the president of the academy or the past president of the academy. They have a very unique viewpoint from sitting atop the largest orthopedic organization in the U.S. and seeing all the different facets of it and how we all work together. I hope that you got out of Jerry's talk that absolutely integral to this year and the political climate we live in is the need for unity in our specialty. Let's not get sidetracked and plagued down with all the stuff that's out in society. I acknowledge that a lot of this is important to everybody, and I encourage everybody to take on their own specific political agendas. But when it comes to us and our ability to maintain our profession and take care of our patients, please, let's all speak with one voice. Let's get behind the academy. Please let your voice be heard. Speak through the BOC, the BOS, your state orthopedic society, the advisor circle, whichever venue you want to go through. Let us at the Council on Advocacy and let the presidential line, let the BOC and the leadership hear your voice, help mold our unified advocacy agenda so that we can continue to speak and represent the diverse thoughts and minds of orthopedic surgeons. The unified advocacy agenda will be in the show notes. Also, make sure that you go to the AOS website and go to the Advocacy Action Center. There's always a very up-to-date and vital issues that we're dealing with, both on the regulatory and on the legislative side. It's so easy to contact members of Congress right there from the Advocacy Action Center and let your voice be heard there. So thanks once again. Appreciate Dr. Williams joining us for this podcast. I really appreciate you joining us and giving us your insight. 
Thanks for having me, Doug. It's been great fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bonebeat Orthopedic Podcast channel with production and sound design by Mission Based Media. For more information on this topic and other AAOS efforts to shape the future of musculoskeletal healthcare, please visit aaos.org forward slash the Bonebeat advocacy.